Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Plus Day podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. They have all decided to join me this week, which is great news. Unfortunately, that is the end of the great news because we have to talk about Tottenham Hotspur today, and it was not a particularly enjoyable experience watching us this time out against Wolves. For the second time this season, we've lost 2-1, and we are going to dig right into it and look at how it all went so horribly wrong, what that means for us, and what the future holds for Spurs. And to help me do that are Elio, Dave and Sarks. Guys, welcome back from another episode. I will come to you first, Elio. Welcome back to the show. How despondent are you right now? Are you happy that Spurs are going to give us a week off now? Or is it even more annoying now that we've got a break coming up? There is no worse time to lose a match than right before you're not going to play again <laughs> for two weeks, as Dave's <laughs> mentioned many yeah. times. Um, yeah. it, it's just awful. Sometimes with his side having just lost to us, I think the case might have been as well. Indeed. Yeah, it was lots of happy returns last week. But this week, it's just a little bit bitter, really. Yeah. Less yeah. angry than I was this time 18 hours ago. Okay, that's good. I mean, I got a sort of not first-hand experience of that, but I saw the WhatsApp group chat experience of that, and I feel like that anger was set quite high, but that was probably probably all of us. How was the stadium? Did you feel like the atmosphere dropped a little bit? Was it noticeable now? Do you feel like um, we're starting to lose the fans? No, no, not in the slightest. No. I mean, there's a lot of that on Twitter, but let's face it, everyone on yeah. Twitter's a walking advert for Thought Police, basically. It was fine in the stadium. The, team, the players got clapped off, the team got applauded off, and the atmosphere was supportive throughout. Not that much by way of groaning and frustration, even at some of our worst moments. The real fans are very much being yeah, patient at board. the moment, even if they are frustrated. And what you see on Twitter in terms of all the rage coming out is... I would hazard a guess, mostly people who have never stepped foot inside the area of N17. Fair enough. Socks, welcome back for another episode. We talked a lot about the last Wolf game. We talked a lot about this one. It was kind of more of the same, but not exactly the same. Was this somehow even more disappointing than the last time we lost the Wolves? Yeah, I mean, I guess the last one we were worried because it was the first one post the Chelsea debacle where it felt like our yeah. season was ruined inside 30 minutes. I think this one with most of our players fit and at home, albeit we've been on not poor form in terms of our results, but in terms of our performances, there was more of an expectation that at the very least we'd avoid defeat. But I do think we spoke about it after Brighton and we said this is going to be a really similar game that could go either way. And, you know, we were a bit worried that it would be the same basketball match that Brighton was. And if you are going to engage in that kind of a performance, there's always a chance you could lose and our luck had to run out eventually. So alas, here we are. Yeah, at least with a game like that where you talk about it being a basketball game and end-to-end, you at least expect something of an exciting spectacle. I don't think we even got that, really. It was just a bit of a dry, dull game, to be honest. It had its moments, obviously, but we'll we'll get stuck into that in a minute. Dave, did you have the pleasure of watching Spurs? I feel like we've put you through so much pain already, given that you don't have to watch Spurs. We make you watch some of these performances. I thought we'd turned a corner. I thought at the very least this season, you had the joy of watching Ange Ball wasn't quite the same this time around. What was your experience of the Spurs-Wolves game? So my experience was a five live while driving home from Leeds experience. <laughs> so I missed uh, yeah. I missed the second half of the Leeds game, well, the majority of the first half as well, to be honest. And then I was following yeah. on five live. So I was actually listening to Arsenal beating Burnley 5-0. But obviously <laughs> they were jumping in to give us an update of the Spurs score. And I'd already muted the WhatsApp chat because <laughs> I couldn't have that blinging on on me every three seconds yeah. uh, and it was so active instead see exactly it, it was active because i came on and went and, and saw that there was 200 odd messages uh, afterwards <laughs> so i thought i'm not going to read that 
But what I can do is use the wonderful power of AI. So what I did is I exported that chat and I put it into chat GTP. Love this. And, uh, <laughs> and asked them to give me a 300 word or less summary. Would oh, you like I can't to wait. hear it? I would love to hear this. I mean, actually, is, it, is this going to cancel us? How bad is it? <laughs> it's not going to cancel us. Chat, right. chat GPT is... Uh, chat is, GPT is, have sensors on certain words. It's, it's clearly got sensors because it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of... Uh, it puts you in a decent light, to be honest. Uh, oh, yeah. But I do think it summarizes it perfectly. Okay, let's oh, you, you correct me because I haven't read what you said. Uh, okay, here we go. The WhatsApp group chat revolves around the Spurs v. Wolves match. Initially, <laughs> there's discussion about the team lineup with some skepticism about the selection. As the match Ooh. progresses, frustration mounts due to poor performance, particularly <laughs> criticizing players like Basuma and Son. There's also frustration with the referee's decisions and analysis of tactical shortcomings. Despite yeah. occasional moments of optimism, the consensus is that the team has been consistently underperforming for a while with concerns Ooh. about the team's inability to break down opponents playing with a low block. Overall, oh the conversation reflects disappointment and frustration with the team's performance <laughs> and tactical approach as well as individual players' performances. I don't think we could do any better than that. I that's like really just, concerning. Is that the end of the podcast? I think that's it. I think this chat GPT has just absolutely condensed the entire pod into two minutes. That's perfect. And you, you could have just asked it, what's it like supporting Spurs? That was so generic, but so accurate at the same time. That's worrying yeah, I was me. Quite, I was quite accurate. impressed with that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Well, let's get straight into it then, shall we? Elio, that was a pretty accurate summary. I expect you are a man of many more words than ChatGPT, so you're going to elaborate on that and bring us in a bit more detail. You've actually just written an article for Vavil, essentially saying four things we learned from the game. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what we have just learned from that game? I mean, it probably doesn't include many of my main points because I could have written 40 things that we learned from that <laughs> game. But I think... 27 of them are about Basuma, right? I think like, part of what we learned was relearning things we've already known but are hoping to see eradicated as this season gets towards the end and as we get into next. So we're clearly still... We don't have an answer to teams that do just set up camp in front of us. There's a degree of luck relied upon to be able to get through those teams. We are definitely susceptible to fast counters, which we always knew we would be with this high line, regardless of mm. the pace of Supervan. And we unfortunately are fallible to the inconsistencies of a very new team of players still, and some of whom haven't really played that much at all together because of the injuries that rules various of them for the same periods about a third of the season so far so yeah there, there isn't too much we've learned in that respect as opposed to just had reconfirmed to us but I think the disappointment for me is that we've already played Wolves once this season we knew this was how they were going to play against us mm. and we struggled again to impose ourselves or gain the same level of control as we did last time except with a better selection of players on the pitch that that's the upsetting thing for me there are caveats to that in that we know full well that Davies and Emerson in for Poro and Udogi changes the way we're able to build out from the back dramatically we know full well that between Madison Basuma Saar to an extent and obviously Benton Core, we've got are four first choice midfielders for those three positions all coming out of a bit of indifferent form and poor fitness so yep. that's a bit of a caveat there as well but 
I think with a week to prepare for the game, a week to get more fitness into the legs and a week to sort of try and make up for the deficiencies that were exposed last time, I would have expected to see something far better. I mean, we had a huge amount of possession, but we didn't have control. And that's the annoying thing for me. Wolves out of possession were still the team that controls the game. It was almost like Wolves gave us a perfect example of Conte ball, whereas us in possession just couldn't get in behind them at any point unless it was because of a bit of trickery from Kulisevsky, essentially. Madison got pushed into every part of the pitch he didn't want to be in and was between our centre-backs a huge chunk of the time. Saar didn't see the ball unless he was out on the right wing. We know that Emerson mm. and Davies aren't going to be able to do that sort of hybrid midfield fullback role that the others do. That's not their fault, but we should have found a way to mitigate that. So, yeah, overall, it just feels like we came into this game not prepared for something we already knew was going to happen. And that would be acceptable if you were playing sort of one of the world's great sides of Barcelona or whatever, a team that no matter what you do to prepare, you can't really stop them. But this was a side that are 11th in the table and a good side, but still a side that are 11th in the table who don't have anywhere near the players we have, barring a couple. And really, we should be finding a way to defeat at home, even with a second choice left back and right back in the team. So there's that left back and right back again, Sox. We talked about it before the game. Elio's obviously just brought them up. Dave GPT mentioned them as well a moment ago. That was the main talking <laughs> point pre-game. We talked about the Wolves game last week about how in the previous fixture that we lost, we had a few key players missing and it wasn't our first strength team. And obviously Emerson and the like were in. The fullbacks both being out at the same time was obviously a huge blow. First of all, Do we know where things stand on both of those in terms of when they're likely to come back? Are they bad injuries? Have you heard anything about when they're likely to return? Has anyone at all? Does anyone know? Yeah, Ange Ange mentioned they're both quite minor. I think they were both being assessed for this game. I think Poro is the worst one a couple of weeks, but we don't play for a couple of weeks. So presumably they'll be fine for the Palace game, I think is the next one. Yeah, obviously we've got the break now, which is well-timed, I suppose, in that regard. But it's a talking point nonetheless. And, you know, we have to accept that there may well be other times where one, if not both of them, are unavailable, hopefully just one at most. But why is it such a killer to the way we play? Why is it so difficult when we're missing one of those? Is it simply the case that there's a huge drop-off between what we have in those positions? Or is it just such a specialised position that it's just difficult to replicate for someone like Royale or Davis coming in? Why do we seem to drop off so much when one of those two are missing? I mean, two points. The first being, and I think Ange mentioned this after the game as well, that we have had, he didn't quite say it like this, I'm paraphrasing, but we've had worse teams out with more injuries yeah. than what we had to play yesterday against Wolves and we played better overall as a team. So I do think there's part of it that's like, of course, you're going to look worse when you don't have your first choice starting 11, but we've had teams where we've played four fullbacks across the defence and we were missing more than just Adogi and Poro and we were missing Madison yeah. and Van der Ven and we generally played better as a team anyway. So that's the first point. I don't think we can just look at it and go, you know, ah, we're we're missing two. I feel like with the injuries thing, we're at a point now where we need to move past it a little bit because there aren't really that many left. It's only really those two. But with them specifically, I actually don't think Davis is that bad in possession. I think in build-up, he's absolutely fine in terms of passing the ball. In terms of carrying the ball and popping up in attacking positions is a different story. Emerson is all around useless at pretty much anything offensive because it's not his game. And there's nothing you can really do. There's only so much you can coach up that kind of play. He's just not the best fit for it and we don't have anybody else. But I agree with Elio in that we can look at it and go, okay, we're missing these two players, but you should still be able to find a way to... uh, I guess this is the downside of the stubbornness of Ange, right? Like this is what happens when you have an all or nothing approach. And I haven't got a problem with it in the long term, but in the Mm. short term, when you're so determined to stick to a system, 
when you are going to be putting square pegs in round holes and you're not going to adapt in the slightest, this is the sort of thing that yeah. is going to be a consequence of that. So this is the downside in the short term of having a manager that will be this stubborn is that he's not going to look at it and go, okay, we've got two completely different players coming in. I'm going to tweak the system. It's like, nope, they're still going to do the same thing, whether they're the right fit for it or not. Therefore, that will be... Yeah a weakness i don't know if the fullbacks were like largely responsible for us not conceding or also not creating i think the mm. problems are a lot larger on the wings there was a lack of width it's like we were allergic to going out wide and that's something that we've spoken about before but again those are problems that are more short term and it's something we spoke about so many times just because we don't have an out, out and out wingers and what have you but yeah we'll come not having as well that, that's the next yeah. issue to deal with yeah okay well there you are but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know I, I kind of feel like every time we lose everybody looks at it in the most forensic way possible because we're all desperate for yeah. some sort of like what is the reason you know it, yeah. it feels you, like you after the think first nine and a half fix. you want to think there's just exactly, that one yeah. thing that made us lose and we can fix that and we're okay yeah I mean I mean, we, we had the first nine games and it feels like this whole season has been everybody looking to desperately to get back to those first nine games so when you've got a fully fit team near enough everyone's like okay but we're still not quite there what's going on so every yeah. week we are desperate football is a lot more complicated than that and look we played like crap we lost they won't be the first time it won't be the last but nothing fundamentally changes too much yeah. in the medium and long term for me at the end of the day we've only lost six out of 25 games which is not bad in the slightest and that leaves us on track mm. to maybe losing well with the fixtures left two or three more matches all season so we're not in any dire straits in the slightest with that but i think the frustrating thing for me is what you just touched on there on the lack of wits side as recently as a week ago, we showed the benefits of actually using the width that we do have, Son's two-footedness, in terms of how it won us the game. And yet mm. today we decided not to do the thing that has won us not just last week, but most games we've had this season. And it just feels bloody mind. It's like they've identified the right thing to do and done the opposite. Does it work that way in this kind of a game, though? Because I know we've seen it before, and obviously last week's a great example where we brought on Johnson and so on, and obviously we had Werner in that position in the past, and we've got behind and we've got across, we've played balls in behind, we've cut the ball back, we've managed to use the pace to exploit the space. But if there is no space to make use of, and it's a team like Wolves where yesterday when they were sitting really, really deep, really narrow, and you had players like Son and Kodosevsky just kind of not really having that many options to work with, is it as simple as that? Are they going to be any more effective in that sort of position? Well, both Son and Kodosevsky are very effective crosses of the ball if they can't get in behind to put their cross in because the, the opposition yeah. are too deep. Overload the area with your central players and get the cross in early instead. I mean... Son's perfectly capable of swinging one with left foot and Kulisevsky actually did put a few really good crosses albeit from cutting in so a bit more predictable yeah. yesterday from deeper positions just get more players in the box in that situation if they're going to be camped in their area you camp in their area with them and have a little bit more lottery about it admittedly than if you were getting in behind but yeah. win the game a bit more of a numbers game yeah do you agree with Sox I'm not sure Sox if this is necessarily what you're implying but you were suggesting maybe Ange could think a little bit more broadly in this sense but would you have maybe gone with slightly more traditional fullbacks and maybe had you know Saar playing a little bit more deep in midfield to make up the numbers in the middle and change it up to a slightly I more 4-2-3-1 short, short-term thinking yes because short-term yeah. thinking I think if we'd gone with more traditional fullbacks that allowed yeah. the wingers to play with a bit more sort of carefree abandon then mm. it would have been more suitable to the opposition but long-term thinking yeah. Ange has earned the right to be dogmatic in his approach as far as I'm concerned. So long-term thinking, no, even if it's painful, let's go through it. We're still having a very good season and we're still likely to finish in 
a good position and enjoy more good football. So don't put unnecessary divots in the long-term process. I know in yeah. the heat of the moment, it's incredibly frustrating, but hopefully the rewards, much like the reward came in Pochettino's second season and then even more in his third season, hopefully the reward will be us playing really cohesive, really aggressive, really enjoyable football. And I hate to use them as the example, but Sox mm. has done it enough times now that I feel relatively safe to do so. <laughs> Woolwich down the road took how many years under Arteta sticking to the same principles yeah. doing the same things and finishing in crap positions and playing crap football before it some yeah. finally clicked last season and all of a sudden Eighth, twice. they're yeah. scoring 11 goals in the last two games I mean sometimes you have to have a bit of faith and mm. I guess I'm beginning to understand why the Woolwich fans were dogmatic and were loyal and were sort of almost cult-like in their defense of Arteta <laughs> when the rest of that. us thought yeah. he was an absolute clown. And yeah. look at look at what it's become now. So I feel like actually we've got a very close by, very painful example of the benefits of quote unquote trusting the process. Yeah. Maybe it's about time we did. Sox has said a million times, we've signed up for a project manager, so let's yeah. let him be a project manager. And in the heat of the moment, in the pantomime of the match, flip out, lose your temper, every player's shit whatever but then when you've had a day to mm. think about it calm your tits and realize that actually it's a journey and we're doing pretty well i never thought i'd be the one that was more having a go at arsenal than elio but i'm pretty <laughs> sure that their fans would have been absolutely fine with arteta going after like oh yeah halfway through the second season i'm pretty sure yeah. i heard i saw i saw yeah. arsenal fan tv refer to him as a war criminal at one point <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, TV. Yeah, it's probably the uh, it's probably quite an accurate cross section. I think well, well done to the board for sticking with him more yeah. than the fans. I think <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point, Dave. We've kind of touched on a couple of the issues now. So Spurs struggle when we don't have our first choice fullbacks to invert. Spurs struggle when we've got a lot of possession against a deep, narrow team that doesn't open up and allow us space in behind. We can't really break down a low block. We've been through some iffy form recently. The narrative that's starting to emerge is that Spurs slash Ange have just been found out. Do you subscribe to that theory? Do you think that teams have just worked out the way to get a result against Spurs or to make life difficult for us? Not necessarily, no. I think the goals that you conceded, I mean, don't get me wrong, Wolves had other chances as well, but the goals that you conceded yesterday were just so avoidable in the sense that the first goal was just yeah. the absence of marking. Just two mistakes, really. A set piece. And the second one was just a double whammy from yeah. Ibasuma in terms of the fact that he lost the ball. And then he chased back almost like a, a gesture track back rather than actually running back with the intention of stopping something from happening because the guy just ghosted in behind him and I know that people might say well you can't expect to have ties in the back of the head but he's a central midfielder that's kind of what they have to have to be able to be good at central midfield yeah so yeah I think the two goals that you conceded were massively avoidable I think you know if you take the best fullbacks both fullbacks out of any team, they're going to struggle. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Liverpool seem to have right backs. You know, Klopp's got like fifteen in a draw yeah. somewhere in the training academy. But other than that, you know, you, you take away the fullbacks from any team, and you're going to be really struggling. So I'm not convinced that people have found you out. I just think that you guys are not as good when you don't have your best players playing. You think it's that simple? I think it's easy to look too much into it. 
and think that you've been found out when in fact that mm. you know everybody's playing the same game in the, in the Premier League and I'm not convinced especially with Gary O'Neill's post-match comments I'm not convinced that he was focused on you guys not having these players or, or focusing on specific weaknesses it yeah. was just a performance from his team that he was looking for yeah. and yeah you can easily spin it to say that it's the world against Spurs but I think it's every team trying to do their best and this time you've seemed to, you seem to have created a bogey team with Wolves, but maybe that's just because the way that they play yeah. like rubs up badly against the way that you play. And you've also been hit with, you know, one game where you didn't have any centre-backs and another game where you didn't have any full-backs. So, you know... We've had bad luck here, and that's true. But I think the point remains that, okay, Wolves did what they did very well, but there are other teams that are capable of doing what they did. And I think now, any team looking at us that isn't one of the top four that are going to fancy themselves to come out and play will think, oh, Spurs are coming. Let's sit really compact. Let's sit deep. Let's force them out wide. They're not going to create that much. Let's put big men in the middle to head the ball away. And let's play for counters and, you know, kick them down whenever we get a chance to stop their momentum. It seems like there's a formula that's worked more than a couple of times against us this season. There is a formula that works, but the thing is, where Wolves have done it, that is just how Wolves play every game anyway. That is Wolves' style of play. They do play with a deep back three or sometimes a back four, but generally a deep back three. They have two very good fullbacks in terms of going forwards, not so sure defensively on the right with Semedo and Aitnuri. They've also got a player that is almost definitely not going to be playing for them next season in Pedro Neto who is who is absolutely destined for greatness so they've got real tools to play that way and Gary O'Neill is well Gary O'Neill should have been well, should have never been sacked by Bournemouth last summer, quite frankly. He was manager of the year last season. So, and I know he wasn't voted manager of the year, but he was manager of the year. Anyone that says otherwise is wrong. So the fact is that Wolves have the tools to embed that as their style of play constantly. If other teams play that way against us, but it's not their usual way, let's say West Ham, there's a pressure from West Ham fans to play the West Ham way, which Sox and I have long discussed is a lot of crap since when have West Ham got away, but they have a pressure Pluckily from losing. their fans to play. That's the West Ham way, oh, exactly. is it? Exactly, that is the West Ham way, but they've got a pressure from their fans to try and play sort of good football and whatever. So when they switch to playing sort of cynical football against us, sometimes it comes off as it did this season and we know that. Sometimes yeah. it won't. And there's a lot of other teams like that as well. So I, I'm not too worried about there being a template to beat Spurs because the majority of sides in this league, whether it's the top end sides that we're competing with position or the lower end sides that do believe in themselves to be able to play a different way, the majority mm-hmm. of sides will have to change up their game to play that way against us. And that could harm them as much as it does us. Yep, yeah, good point. I want to come back to this game and I want to go through the goals and some specific players but while we're on this general point just from a macro level socks if we're looking ahead to next summer if we're looking ahead to the next opportunity we have to realistically change our personnel what's the priority having seen what you've seen in the last few games do you think that winger that can take people on and drive into the box so that just sort of jeremy doku pedro neto type is the most important player for us right now or do you think cover at fullback or, or elsewhere on the pitch it, yes and two of them how just are you still finding it. reasons to talk about transfers <laughs> i'm just thinking long term because obviously like we're saying it's difficult to fix this in the mm. short term but in terms of where we want to go along we're, we're talking about this being a process right we're talking about this being a long game you know we, we need to think in those terms what are you going to do this summer when there's european championships and you can't focus on the summer transfer window i'm going to love the european championships i'm going to be on <laughs> 
on here doing solo podcasts about you. Scout wait. reports. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. <laughs> what, live watch alongs. Bring it on, England. It's coming home. It's, it's coming home. Anyway, sorry. Right, so, Tom, you may track. answer the Back question now. <laughs> We're from Cyprus. It's coming nowhere. Number two. Yeah, we need <laughs> we need two wingers. One on the left, one on the right, and then fullback cover i think is probably mm. i mean uh, we're, not, we're not at a point where i think we need to continue signing seven players a summer i think we're at a point now where you need to drill down anywhere from two to four and get them of relatively high quality so for example you spend 60 million quid on somebody like pedro neto it doesn't mean you might be able to sign another five players but you've gotten the guy in that could be your winger for the next four or five years or beyond yeah. so i think you need a winger on the left a winger on the right and then if we're talking about this game and other games where We've got square pegs and round holes, especially the Poro to Emerson drop off. And I think that's where you look to improve as a priority. I, I think in terms of forwards, you've got Richarlison and Son, and then about five of them coming through the academy, plus Alejo Valif. You'd hope out of the four or five that we've got, yeah. one of them will come through okay. You probably need one more centre back, but because Ben Davis can play there, I don't know how urgent it is anymore. And yeah. I also don't know how urgent a rotational goalkeeper is. I mean, we probably do need another one that's a better fit than what Forster is, but I don't know if we're screaming out for it as a priority. So I think if you're coming into some point in preseason where you've got a winger or two down and a right back, then I would already consider that to be a pretty decent summer. Yeah. We say things like the manager should switch it up potentially or he should change it or he should find a way to beat these teams. But the reality is like tactics aren't magic. Your tactics are only derived by the players mm. that you've got. You can't just come up with stuff if you don't have players that allow you to do that stuff. We can't do what, say, City do and pump the ball yeah. long when we're being pressed from Edison to Haaland because Vicario isn't good at long kicks and we don't have no. somebody like Haaland up front. So the same is true when we're coming up against low blocks. It's, it's easy for us to scream. And I understand that from a fan's perspective, we don't like our team losing, so typically we'll all default to change something. And what mm. that means is maybe if we do the opposite of what we're currently doing, it might work. And then he'll change something and he'll bring somebody on and it's like, it doesn't work. And it's like, no, that's not we'll the change I meant because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not what yeah. I wanted. Yeah. The reality is he can't make stuff up on the spot. You can only change something in an effective way when you sign players. So yeah, to para Elio, who's parroting me, long-term <laughs> project, <laughs> let's just give it a minute, it's all good. There's really no point in having both the Piliotti on this podcast now, we should really it just really isn't. Do you know what? merging into the I was same thinking, person now. Yeah. I was thinking this five minutes ago because I was too scared to say it because I don't want to be like kicked <laughs> off the pod or whatever. We need strength and depth, all right? It's fine now that you're I'll both here. Elio was saying stuff. We'll I was just sat there not... I was just sat there nodding. I'm like, he's making a good point. God damn it. Like, <laughs> what do I do now? Don't tell him that. Come on. Well. His head's big enough already. <laughs> it bodes well for me that even toxic self-esteem is so low that even he thinks he's the one that should leave. Elliot, it's because you've gassed <laughs> all of us. I, I, I never said that. You've, you've gassed all said of us into thinking that your opinion is more important than the rest of us and we're just here as your support at. Anyway, to somehow add credence to that theory, I'm going to take it back to this game because Elio doesn't like us talking about next season, the bigger picture. We're going to come back to the here and now. We're talking about this match. We're talking about wingers. We obviously got to talk about the wingers that we have at the moment and I want to talk about both of them for different reasons and Kudasevsky is often a talking point for better or worse we've talked about his form not being quite 100% this year Elio I know you had some interesting thoughts about him obviously we'll talk about the goals the first goal Dave already mentioned just shocking marking free header not much more to say about it the second goal let's talk about that first because it was a lovely finish wasn't it beautiful piece of skill from Kudasevsky oh, absolutely I mean the way he sort of found himself right in front of their keeper he had he had no right to do that the, the sort of foot rolled over the ball to take it uh, past that player and end up on the other side of a far nimbler human being than he is is well mm. this is why we love him and then the finish was just so cool and so composed and that's why I think he's our third top scorer this season at this point I think he's got six in the league now with that finish mm. so I really do think that 
Oh, I said preseason. I thought Kulisevsky would be one of our highest scorers. I think I actually predicted him to be our next highest after whoever was the top scorer. We were talking about Kane at the time. So yeah. maybe that's not coming to fruition because of Richarlison's form. But I, I can't see him not getting double figures this season if he sort of keeps this up I think it was a mixed bag from Kulisevsky and frustratingly so because one thing yesterday painted more than ever for me is that Kulisevsky just is key to us especially with Madison being fairly ineffective the last couple of games we really do look to Kulisevsky for creativity for imagination for ingenuity and when he gets it right we have a chance when he doesn't it's kind of dismantles an entire move in one go and both those things happened yesterday i mean he put in several beautiful crosses and found space several times he was the only one really driving us yesterday and actually helping us pin their defense back at all and create things approaching chances because let's face it we didn't have any real chances but then he also mm. made some daft decisions i think twice towards the end of the game he pretty much booted ball out of play there was one moment where he could have slipped in Werner I think it was down the left and instead he just misread Werner's run Werner went inside he went outside and they had a goal kick and yeah these are the times at which you have to remember Kulisevsky is 23 years old despite the fact that he looks that is, 30 years old yeah. than that um these are the <laughs> points at which you have to remember he's allowed to be inconsistent he's got a decent haul for us this season it's going to improve he's a key part of this team and he is going to be for a long time but same as we say about Udogi, mm. Van der Ven, Pat Matsar, Brennan Johnson if we're giving them all the they're nowhere near the finished version of themselves excuse then let's give it to Kulisevsky as well yeah. I think we probably all hold him to a higher standard because we know that yeah. when he's good he's really f-ing good but there's still going to be growing pains there and he's still someone who's learning his trade at this level by and large, especially after his Juventus time was as fragmented as it was. So main takeaway, would like more from him and more consistently, especially within games, but he's still key to everything good we do, in my opinion. That's a really sh- point, Elio. Have you considered leaving the <laughs> podcast at all? <laughs> you take your lack of talent and go elsewhere. <laughs> I'm actually considers it about once a week, probably, normally because of something that I've said. I think it's clear that Kulisevsky was probably, by default, our best outfield player, but he wasn't fantastic. He had one fantastic moment and he had a couple of nice crosses. I think if that Davies header goes in towards the end, we're probably looking at his performance for a slightly different lens. Oh, the lens. I gave Ben Davies for that. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. So, so Kulisevsky, yeah, I think he was the best of a bad bunch going forward on the ball. I think looking over to the other side, unfortunately, I think Son was far less effective than him. And this brings up a bigger question because ever since Son came back from the Asia Cup and Richarlison had his run of form, scoring a lot of goals, I think Andrews obviously looked at that and thought, okay, Richarlison's doing well. Let's not change the winning formula. Let's put him there. Let's leave him there. And let's put Son back on the left where he's obviously played a fair amount and been quite good. From the evidence of that game, I think Son's wasted there. And I think I understand why you want to keep Richarlison in a run. And it would be really harsh to, quote unquote, drop him after you know scoring a goal a game for so long. But I look at that and I think Son has been doing this constantly for years. He's been scoring these goals. He should be our first choice centre forward. Does anyone else see that any differently? Do you think that realistically, Son should be in that central position and we might have had more joy if he had been? I absolutely disagree. Okay. No other part of the pitch as much as centre forward should be decided by who's the on-form player, unless that player is generational like Harry Kane was. And even then, there were times where we thought, okay, it's time to give him a rest. He just never did because no yeah. manager was brave enough. Lucas Moura in the Champions League final, for example. Well, 
yeah, exactly. I think Richarlison absolutely has to be first choice down the middle right now because Richarlison has been better down the middle this season across a 25-game sample size than Son has so? been. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Son's performance is down the middle. He scored the goals, but he didn't do any of the rest of the stuff mm. Richarlison does. Not, not even close. And Son's also scored from the left, by the way. I think Son, first of all, I think right now Son could do with being an impact sub in the next game like he was in the last game and go back to Werner and Richarlison who seem to play far better together than Son and Richarlison just have. But before he went to Asia, Son actually did make a goal or two for Richarlison, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't mind persisting with our probably one undoubted world-class player on the left to keep Richarlison in the middle. I'd personally give Werner the continued run until sort of Son earns his way back in. But I definitely don't want to move our most on-form attacker out of the position with which he's been so on-form. It, it, it's madness. Sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one because we've got no Europe or any other competition this year. I kind of feel like in most other seasons, the answer would be we're playing enough games to swap them out. I'm of the Son can't not play because he's our best player. I also agree that he's completely wasted on the left. So it feels like we're wasting a position just to accommodate yeah. Richarlison up front, who is an excellent option. It's obviously ungrateful for me, even if he hasn't scored for a couple. If mm. you had to ask me our best team, it would include Sun down the middle and then the person on the left could be any of... I guess Richarlison, Werner, Manuel Solomon is somewhere hiding in the distance, you'd imagine. Brennan Johnson has played there in the past. Yep. So it makes more sense to me, even if it's a little bit harsh on Richarlison, to just play Son down the middle and Richarlison can be used mm. as another option because in an ideal world, we'd, be, we'd have Europe, we'd still be in the FA Cup, we'd be in a Carabao Cup final. So you'd be in a position where you'd be having two or three games a week and the answer would be in front of us, which is you can justify rotating them. But I cannot see for as poor as Son is on the left, him being benched to play Richarlison up front and then Werner on the left, which I think would bring more balance. And I think that kind of a statement from the manager, if you want, would be yeah. taken in so many wrong ways and would cause so much mm. of a ruckus on or off the pitch. Like This is the problem with having an undroppable player, but nobody that's quite the right fit, really. So I feel like it's harsh on Richarlison because I don't think he's done anything wrong. But if you had to ask me my lineup for Palace, assuming everybody's fit, I would go Werner on the left, Sun up front, and then whomever yeah. on the right, Johnson or Kuliseski. So... That's yeah, the reality think, of it. I've got a couple of points on it. I think, first of all, I think Son is our captain. Let's not forget that. And I think that counts for yeah. something. I know we've got other leaders. I know we've got Madison and Romero who are both fit and, you know, they can step up. But, you know, Son is our captain for a reason and our kind of leader and talisman and everything like that. And he can play well on the left. You know, we saw him, was it for Johnson where he set that up? That was a lovely, lovely ball across. And yeah. he has he has the ability, that game where he absolutely tore Kieran Trippier inside out when he was playing on the left. He, he can perform in the right game when the opposition sets up in the right way. I just think for games that are going to be like this, he's basically useless out there on that side and the other thing is when it comes to Richarlison I think the easy mirror for it is looking at Man City when Haaland was out for a few games and you saw Alvarez stepping in and doing perfectly fine he was basically doing as well as Richarlison would you say Pep Guardiola should just leave Haaland on the bench because you know or put him in somewhere else you know if some, I think if a player is that big that big a star in your team and that important and has consistently been that good for so long you find a place for him personally I, I don't think the difference between Son and Richarlison is anything like Haaland and Alvarez. And you I was don't. actually gearing up to make that point before you mentioned that. No, I mean, Haaland's really? head and shoulders, the most lethal striker on the planet without any contest whatsoever. Alvarez is a young striker learning his trade. Son is a world-class player who has two potential positions in this team, neither of which are actually ideally suited to him because of differing reasons. And Richarlison mm -hmm. is a worse player, but a perfect fit for the system in that number nine role. So I don't think the gap, when you take all the context into account especially, 
is the same. And that's not to say Alvarez isn't better than Richardson or Son's worse than Harlan or anything like that. I mean, in the context of the system and when you're comparing what you've got in each hand, the rationale that Harlan goes back in automatically, well, of course he does. The guy scored 7,000 goals last season. <laughs> uh, it's not the same. In, in the, set, the other example I was going to say is we're not comparing Harry Kane with Vincent Janssen here either or Harry Kane with Lorente. No. This is Son and Richarlison. This is but, two very good players, one of whom has been world-class for us and still is on occasion is mostly very, very good, and another who is ideally suited to the system and on a very rich vein of form with the potential to build on that very rich vein of form. So if you decide Son's actually going to be a middleman and not a wide man in this team, then okay, we've got Werner, we've got Solomon to come back at some point, we've got Johnson who can go either side, go with them if you don't really want to put Son there. I personally still would just put Son there for the reasons mm. you stated that he can actually play well there. But go with the guy that makes the system work down the middle. In the same way that it doesn't... Let's just say we're in some kind of bizarre world where Emerson's actually a better player than Porro. We know he's not, but let's say he was, but still the same style of player. You're still mm -hmm. playing Porro ahead of him every single time on in that inverted right wing-back role. Every single time. Because Porro is the better fit for the system and the on-form guy. So if Richardson's both on-form and on better form and the better fit for the system, why would you pull him out on the chance that Son will mm -hmm. snap back into action when he's been moderately inconsistent for the past couple of months, including a hiatus over on international duty? Son was on great form before. So in all the games he's played at number nine, before he went away, Son was on Haaland-esque scoring form, I think. And, and I, I think it's easy to forget that. But I take your point. He I understand. was in the I first think nine games of the season. He was. Oh, basically, as soon as he went into the middle, he started playing like that. And he, yeah, not every single game. But I don't know. It's a difficult one. I think we're going to have to go to Dave on this. We need an independent adjudicator to settle this before we move on. Because we do have other points to get on to. We've been going for quite a while. Everybody's had this experience, haven't they, on Football Manager? It's either when someone's <laughs> coming back from AFCON, someone's coming back from Asia Cup, you've just yeah. signed a player, or in Mikel Arteta's world, you've just signed another goalkeeper, even though the goalkeeper you have is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> you know, you you almost have to work out what the what the balancing line is between complete playing favourites and you know playing Henderson and Phillips at the Euros, regardless of who they play for or how they're playing. Yeah, or playing someone on the fact that they're in form, but then waiting to the point where, you know, there is a, a critical mass that balances between, okay, it's not working with them, let's go to back to what ultimately would be his first choice, all things being equal, first game of the season, everybody's fit. Mm -hmm. So I think you're damned either way, and uh, to be honest, I'd rather my manager did it the way that Ange is doing it, in the sense that he's giving he's giving Richarlison that chance because he was in form, he's scoring goals. Yeah. Yes, Son's come back. Yes, he's a very important player for you. But to take Richarlison out of the team in the position where he's playing so well, just because Son's back, it doesn't scream amazing man management. It it, it kind it of screams motivation. Something's up. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think I think he's done the right thing basically. But you know, ultimately, you're damned yeah. if you do, or you're damned if you don't. If it goes wrong. There's more to be said about that, I'm sure, but we, we've been going on for a while. So I want to move on to other points of conversation. We've talked about two of the goals. The third goal is probably the most disappointing one, and it 
starred Eve Basuma at both ends, unfortunately. Now, Elio and I had a big discussion about Basuma. I don't think he was awful, particularly in the first half, but I have to admit he was pretty bad for that goal. Um, Elio, I'm going to come back over to you. What are your thoughts on Basuma now, a day later, with the dust settled? I thought we said we weren't going to get any cancelled today. <laughs> <laughs> what are you implying? Um, <laughs> I have faith in you. So, what are my thoughts on Basuma? Overall performance was okay, Yeah, in the sense that that was probably this, where a lot of our players stood. So there are a few that zip below, like yeah. Madison, like Son, like Richarlison, actually. Mm. But he's just not showing what I want to see from the player at the fulcrum of not just our midfield, but our entire team. Because, I mean, I've said this a million times, I like midfielders to take responsibility, and I just don't think he does it. And I'm not sure he has it in his locker, actually, either. Yes, those dribbles he goes on from time to time, but I can't remember the last time he did that are wonderful to watch but mm. he receives the ball and then he just plays the ball very quickly to the closest player to him at any given time he he doesn't seem to want it for any length of time at the moment and he seems to give responsibility over to someone else at any point if his name was harry winks we'd be absolutely tearing chunks out of him for the way he's played since he got sent off at luton and i think his early season form where he was very very good has saved him from yeah. being criticised anywhere near as much as he should, apart from mm. me, obviously, over the past three, four <laughs> months. I, I just, I think, especially with other players feeling the way back in, Saar being an experienced, Madison just back from injury, Benton Core back from injury, I want to see him do more. He has the bloody number eight on his back, the the number of Paul Gascoigne, the number of... Um, <laughs> the curse as, number. As Bedros pointed out yesterday, Jimmy Greaves. He's He's got yeah. the number of the midfielder that's meant to make things happen, and he's just not doing it. And, and for me, that... I, I guess what was disappointing for me yesterday in his performance is that he did have opportunities to do it and he didn't. And then when he came off, he reacted angrily and kicked a bottle or whatever. And I'm sure it was frustration at himself rather than petulance. But yeah. Benton Cool came on, still clearly half fit, but actually progressed our play far more in his short time on the pitch than Basuma had for the previous sort of 60, 65 minutes. And that was really, really frustrating for me to see because this is obviously a talented guy, a very physically adept guy and he's not actually owning it and we're not talking about a kid here we're talking about a 27 year old who's been in this league and at times called the best midfielder in the league when he was at Brighton mm. uh, he's been in this league for a very very long time now and when you see Pat Matsar making mistakes but actually putting himself in a position to make those mistakes every single game you wonder mm. why Basuma just isn't and I really hope he proves me wrong, but I've seen Zakora, Paulinho, Jermaine Genus, David Howells, whatever, all do the exact same thing. Perfectly okay footballers <laughs> who aren't really adding value to what the team does on the pitch. And yeah. for me, that's just the worst sin for a midfielder. And then there's the winner that they scored, which was him giving the ball away, farting around, lightly jogging back, and then not closing down the man. It was amateur, and he will hopefully have been bollocked for that. 
I imagine so. I was about to say earlier, you softened somewhat since our group chat yesterday, but uh, then you kind of brought it right back again. You, you said, please nobody tell me Basuma should start ahead of Benzinka ever again. He's at best an impact sub. Pound shop Zakora. Um, <laughs> I want to take this over to Sox and get get his thoughts. Um, first of all, Sox, I think just to give it a bit of context, you were you had really high hopes for Basuma, as, as did I, as did a lot of us at the beginning of the season. And I, I seem to recall a couple of games in, you saying kind of tongue in cheek, I'd give him player of the season already. He's been that good. And those first sort of <laughs> seven or eight games, he was one of our our most important players I think and looks like you know this is hopefully the new the new player that we're going to get all season and what was Conte doing and all of this um we've talked about Basuma a bit about how he's dropped off a little bit but how do you see him at the moment and more specifically where is he in the pecking order for you at the moment going forward with Benson Kerr as an option with, with Sarah Madison available and, and the like yeah I don't disagree with anything Elio just said like outside of pound shops of Cora which I appreciate are things that are said in the heat of the moment so I can I completely respect that that would be the only thing I disagree with I think look I mean he hasn't actually this is the first game he started for us and I think in about two months it was middle of December before yeah. he, when he got sent off against Forest, and I do think he has got a lot of criticism pro- probably since I think Luton away when he got sent off and that which was maybe the seventh or eighth game of the season I can't quite remember and he's been playing pretty poorly I suppose uh, I mean I'm in two minds of it because the first is when the team is playing so poorly as a collective I'm always a bit more hesitant to start picking out any individual and I, I understand that we have to discuss them when we do discuss them because it just feels a bit scapegoaty for my liking because we can go through and they all have their different circumstances. Madison and Bentacle coming back from injury. Poro in the yeah. last few games before his injury was poor. Even Richarlison in the last two, despite having been brilliant before that, son we've just touched on. So I almost feel like we're picking on players for the sake of, uh, not as in bullying them, but we're, we're, we're picking them out. Yeah. And I think that's largely because we have higher standards. I've always said with him that, like with any player, I appreciate he's a little bit older in that he's 27 but he's also taking a pretty big step up from Bryson through to Spurs. He had a first season, which was basically a complete washout for various reasons, not least Conte. I mean, he didn't have a preseason because he got COVID and then got injured and then had to deal with Conte when he was back and then got injured again. So this is really his first full season for us, which to be fair, mostly through his own fault with his sendings off has been a little bit stop start. I'm just not in a position where I feel massively ready to make a huge comment on him either way beyond the disappointment after the first six games where he looked like he showed a tremendous amount of promise, really. I'm more on the cautiously optimistic side because I think when a player shows that much talent and it's that much in terms of natural ability, that's not a thing that goes away. I think you actually said it in the WhatsApp chat yesterday. That's Mm. not something that disappears overnight. I think what is obvious with Basura and has been obvious long before yesterday is he has genuine issues with his concentration. And I think that's the thing that often lets him down. It is clear lapses in judgment. What I would be interested in, and I'm just talking out loud here because we don't actually have this on on this podcast, is a Brighton fan's opinion because they Mm. had him for two seasons. So they'd be able to tell us, actually, Basuma goes through these purple patches like Sun used to to do. The Sun used to go like a house on fire and then basically go missing for two months until he got slightly more consistent. So I would be curious, and maybe this is some homework I'm assigning myself out loud to see if this is something (laughs) that's become a common pattern for him Brighton yeah. or, or not but at the moment I think the sample size is small I don't disagree with Elio in terms of I don't know if he's a guaranteed starter I don't think I think there are very few that are actually guaranteed starters anymore but I think at the moment when you've got an off form Madison Sars only just come back Benton Core is still struggling post-injury which is to be expected yeah I'm not of the mind that we should either never see him again or he starts every game I think he like every player should be afforded the rest of the season continue to play out of this funk hopefully the team plays out of this funk and then we'll take it from there 
Well, I did not expect there to be quite so much talk about off the back of this game. I thought this was going to be a pretty quick podcast, but I feel like I shouldn't be surprised at this point. After 100 plus of these, we've obviously got a talent for finding things to get stuck into. So uh, thanks, guys, for that. I've really enjoyed looking at all the various reasons why we've been rubbish recently and how we might be able to fix them. Dave, do you have any closing thoughts? Would you like to have a shot at summarizing a la ChatGPT at the start of the episode, the main points discussed today and what your thoughts are on Spurs and the immediate future i think i could probably sum it up by saying taking all the conversation we had about fullbacks taking all the conversation about basuma taking all the conversation about rich Arlison versus son you can probably sum up by saying your first 11 is really good and if everybody was fit then you'd be really strong but even saying that you're still fifth you're still a long way from sixth you know man united are six points away from you they're playing away at luton today which is not an easy game for anyone so, not, certainly not for Basuma, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, absolutely not. So, you know, you have two points off the top four, 13 games to go, Yeah, all to play for. And you're playing Palace next, and who knows what Palace are going to be in two weeks. Two exactly. weeks of Oliver Glasner yeah. uh, in charge. So we'll, we'll see what, what that actually looks like. Uh, I think they've got two games between now and playing you. So we'll be able to do a fair scouting. Yeah, we'll see. We've got a little while until that. So that's why we're not previewing that game in too much detail just yet. We might be back next week to do that. There's a tweet here that I really enjoyed that sums it up quite nicely from Zach at the THFC. Supporters, we want a rebuild. And okay, but there will be rough patches. Supporters, okay, that's fine. Hits a rough patch. Supporters, sack him. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's just football fans in a nutshell, isn't it? So I think, as we've said painstakingly often on this podcast, patience, trust the process. It's going to start kicking in soon. It's not going to be an overnight magical fix. And he's a good coach, but he's not a magician. So let's keep the faith and I hope it starts to look good over the next few games and look ahead to next season. The one thing I wanted to finish with was this was quite funny. I don't even know how I got onto this, but I was reading up about the rules for next year's Champions League. And it turns out that there may well be a fifth spot for the Premier League opened up to the Champions League next year, which will depend in no small part on the performance of this year's English teams in Europe and in the Champions League specifically. So there is hypothetically a scenario that might evolve whereby Arsenal reach the Champions League final, we finish fifth, and we're relying on Arsenal to win the Champions League final for us to get into next year's Champions League. And I put this out to Twitter to ask what people would want in that scenario with the options of uh, want the Arsenal win, won't watch, but still want the Arsenal win, and rather Arsenal lose. So in other words, sacrifice Champions League football to spite Arsenal and stop them winning a major trophy. Do you guys want to have a guess at what the results of that poll were? <laughs> I mean, if it's anything that below 90% for that last one, then I would be yeah. shocked. This isn't even a question. Yeah. You, I mean, the thoughts? one thing we still have over Arsenal is that we actually are <laughs> relevant in terms of European success and they're not. <laughs> and I think we've grown out of the ooh, Champions League is everything phase. In fact, I wouldn't mind being the Europa League because we're probably more likely to win it. So as far as I'm okay. concerned, yeah. finish fifth. Yeah. If Arsenal need to win yeah. the Champions League for us to be in the Champions League next season, then I'd rather be in the Europa League next season. <laughs> So you'd be voting for option C. Dave, as an outsider, does that seem like madness? Or if uh, it was a similar situation with, let's say, Man United, would you view it differently? Well, it, it wouldn't be similar to Man United because they've won it, won everything plenty. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. just and Champions one League more. at this point, yeah, would be uh, just one more quite would nice. Be, would, who would care? But not that Man United are going to get anywhere near doing that for a no. while, I don't think. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, whatever it's worth. Socks, <laughs> Socks gonna, you'll I'm be delighted. On that one. 
I'm not You'll be happy to hear, Socks, that it was a 91% vote for option C. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that our fans hate Arsenal at least as much as they love Spurs, which is fantastic. The more interesting question would be if it was on the line for us winning an FA Cup. I know we're out of it. That would be more because then are you prioritising... trophy versus a trophy. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's yeah, my next Maybe I'll put that on my next photo. So have a look out for that on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. If you're not following us already, go give us a follow. Send us an email as well. We say this every week. I realise, so not for the first time, I told everyone to email us last week and never actually gave our email address. We are Plus Dave Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That's probably why I've solved it. You've been sabotaging me yeah. this whole time. <laughs> Plus Dave Podcast at gmail.com. Please send us an email. Please follow us at Plus Dave Podcast on Twitter and let us know your thoughts. Anything you want us to talk about, whether that's about this game or upcoming games, the bigger picture next season Arsenal winning the Champions League whatever it might be we'll have a look at that and maybe work it into the next podcast whenever that might be and yeah we hope to have loads of you back next week or whenever we do this for the next recording guys before I bring this to a close any final thoughts that email again is plusdavepodcast at gmail.com that's plusdavepodcast at gmail.com fantastic guys thanks so much for joining thanks everyone for listening we'll see you again next week stay classy Spurs fans and we'll catch you in a bit Thank you.